0: Welcome to the Rehumanized Podcast. I am your host, Herb Garrity. This podcast is a project of Rehumanized International. We are a 501c3 organization that is working to bring an end to all acts of aggressive violence against human beings. We adhere to an ethos called the consistent life ethic, which calls for an opposition to violence against human beings in the form of abortion, unjust war, capital punishment, euthanasia, torture, embryonic stem cell research, assisted suicide, police brutality, etc. Essentially any act of violence against a human being, regardless of circumstance. The topic for this episode is combating rape and sexual assault, and our guest today is the Executive Director of Rehumanize International, Amy Murphy. This issue is very close to Amy's heart, and I wanted to give her a chance to tell her story.
1: Amy? Thanks, Herb. Um, Really grateful to be on the show today. Um, So imagine me at 16. Far less cool then, no tattoos, no teal hair. It was January of my sophomore year of high school. I had just turned 16, and the guy I was dating was 17. We'd been sleeping together for several months in an on-again-off-again boyfriend-girlfriend relationship when I eventually told him that I was uncomfortable sleeping with him. Looking back, I can see that there was something that didn't quite sit right in my mind about our relationship even then. To a certain extent, I could see how he was using me, and his blatant objectification of my body became even more obvious when he broke up with me at the end of this dialogue on my sexual boundaries. Yeah, hindsight is always twenty-twenty, but even at 16, I could see that he just wanted me for sex. I was hurt, but we stayed friends. Again, I craved love, affirmation, Heck, I will even acknowledge that in my own immature way, I loved him. So when he called me up on Valentine's Day, just a few weeks after breaking up with me, I answered my cell phone. He was crying on the other end of the line, sobbing about how lonely he was and how delivering dozens of flowers while single on Cupid's holiday had made him feel so alone. Part of me wanted to respond, you know, this really sounds like it's your problem. Don't you remember you did this? But in the end, I caved and told him that we could sit on my front porch and talk. That was it. It was just supposed to be us, talking. He arrived and parked in the driveway. I stood up as I heard the door slam, and my low blood pressure struck. I waited out. Everything went white, and the next thing I knew, he had raced up the walk and thrown himself at me. The rest is sort of a blur, to be honest, because as he unzipped my pants and forced himself upon me, I froze. I dissociated. My brain couldn't comprehend the trauma of the rape. The violence by someone that I loved against my body. Against myself. Most of what I remember is pushing against him, saying no over and over again in chunky sobs that felt like I had a bitter pill stuck in my throat. Thank God, eventually a car drove by on our quiet little road, and I think it scared him. The next thing I remember, he was gone.
0: I am so sorry that happened to you. What happened
1: next? Well, I mean, our friendship was over as far as I was concerned, uh, I wasn't talking to him anymore. Um, I tried telling a few of my friends about what had happened in an effort to, you know, try to warn them away from his flirtations, but they didn't believe me. They sided with him, calling me a slut and a whore. Our friend group was torn cleanly in two, except it wasn't an even split. I had one friend who stood by me, though I don't think she ever really believed me, even to this day, honestly. Everyone else stood by him, unbelieving me, alienating me, tormenting me by their judgmental stares and their abandonment. Honestly, their disbelief compounded the doubt that I had in myself. What if I had been asking for it? that allowing him to come over on Valentine's Day imply that I must have wanted sex. I blamed myself for putting myself into such a vulnerable situation, for having been interested in him romantically in the first place all those months ago. Because I'd been raped by someone that I loved, by someone I'd been dating on again, off again, I worried that I wouldn't be believed. So when my peers didn't trust my story, I didn't bother telling my parents, or the police, or the principal. My parents didn't even find out that I had been raped until I gave a talk at my home parish at 26 years old. It had been 10 years since I had been violated.
0: Wow. But back to 16, what happened after February?
1: Well, March came in like a lion, but didn't go out like a lamb as I had hoped. I remember it was really rainy that year, and the weather matched my mood. I'd lost all of my friends, I'd lost the sense of belonging that I'd cobbled together from mismatched sets, and I'd lost my sense of dignity as I wandered around my high school, friendless and traumatized. But I also feared that I'd gained something, too. Or rather, someone. Someone. Early April arrived, and I still hadn't had a period since before the incident. I was panicked, terrified, I wasn't eating, wasn't sleeping, I was gaining weight, I was nauseous all the time, and I was waiting anxiously for good old Aunt Flo. The only thing that ran through my mind constantly was, what if I am pregnant? And by my rapist, no less. I wanted to run away, to disappear, to die. The nearly half a year earlier, when things were consensual and hunky dory, or so I thought, he and I had talked about what we'd do if we accidentally got pregnant. But suddenly, all my fears were laying heavy, like someone had dropped a hundred pound weight on my chest. I couldn't tell my parents for fear of judgment. Did you tell anyone about it? Eventually, yeah, I told my only friend who would listen. The one who stood by me. She was pro-choice, a progressive at heart, and fiercely independent. Somewhere along the line, I remember Planned Parenthood being tossed out into the conversation. I felt cold and lifeless. Frozen like a zombie fixated on one singular goal. Only, <laughs> I didn't want to eat brains. I wanted an abortion. See, I was a straight-A student. 3.9-something GPA in a boatload of AP courses. Slated by some of my teachers to be on the track for an Ivy League university. I was consumed by the idea that a baby would absolutely throw all of my hard work down the drain. It would be all for naught. Abortion seemed like the only way forward. I didn't really see any other choice, especially because I didn't want to be tied to my rapist for the rest of my life. I talked at length with that only remaining friend about what to do. And somehow word eventually got back to the guy that I thought I was pregnant. So, one day, he came to my drafting class asking to talk with me. My drafting teacher was really laid back, didn't really care an ounce about if anyone stepped out of class for a while, but he also apparently missed my very scared stare when my rapist entered the classroom. So, he came in, said, Amy, we need to talk, so I... Begrudgingly followed him out into the hallway. We talked super tensely in hushed tones. What do you want? I spat the words like fire from a heart that had been burned. I was furious that he felt like he was somehow owed my time. I was honestly irate that he thought he could just pull me out of class whenever he wanted to talk. He said rather sheepishly, Amy, you need to get an abortion. I'll drive you, I'll pay for it, but you need to get it taken care of. I glanced up, blinking slowly, with my arms crossed in front of my chest. Why does it matter to you? He responded, I can't tell my mom about what happened. I think my jaw might have hit the floor in a white-hot, angry awe. I scoffed, but he continued, Honestly, Amy, I've been thinking, if you don't have an abortion, I might kill you. And then myself. I pointed down the hall away from the classroom and said, leave. Go. Now.
0: That was death threats in a school setting. Were you scared?
1: Scared is an understatement. As I turned around to go back to my classroom, my world... Literally felt like it was spinning turning upside down Walking back to my desk. I had knots in my stomach of fury and fear. I Suppose if I'd had the presence of mind I would have gone to my teacher or texted one of my parents or gone to the principal or the police or something But I didn't and He clearly didn't care about me Not only had he disregarded my lack of consent when he raped me, now he was threatening my very life. In that moment of fear though, something became so clear. I guess I just hadn't cared about it before. In that moment, there was an echo of something that I had learned in my ninth grade bio class. Something about a new life beginning at sperm egg fusion. As I sat there petrified in fear, recollecting my thoughts in my architectural drafting class, I knew that if I was indeed with child, that pre-born child's life within me would be worthy of the same protections as me. I knew that if I were to be killed, we would both be the victims of the same violence. I knew that what my rapist was telling me was, you're an inconvenience to me, you're an inconvenience to my future, Therefore, I am going to kill you.
0: Did you see a parallel there between
1: yourself and the preborn child? I did. I felt a solidarity in our vulnerability. Honestly, as I sat there quietly, solemnly, pondering what this new revelation of science meant for my future, I mulled it over. What right did I have to inflict the same harm that was being threatened against me upon an innocent human being? How much better would I be than my rapist if I chose the path of violence to reach my goals in life? Honestly, it was because of the feminism I had already adopted years earlier that I realized I could not use oppression to seek my own liberation and success. I knew that I could not pass on the same patriarchal oppression to an innocent child. In the moment when my own life was threatened, I adopted a philosophy of nonviolence. In the moment when my own life was threatened, I knew more than ever that I must live my feminist principles. In the moment when my own life was threatened, after having suffered rape and sexual violence, I knew that I had to do something to stop all violence, including the violence of abortion. Amy,
0: thank you so much for sharing your story. I want to transition now to a wider discussion about these issues. How do you think we can best help people who conceive after a horrific incident like this?
1: Hmm. It's so important. Um, number one... Always respond with compassion first. Um, Acknowledge the pain and the horror of rape. Acknowledge what the victim is going through. Acknowledge how raw their feelings might be. And secondly, we should seek to get them the physical and mental health care that will help them to heal. Um, So as you heard from my story, you can glean that I think that abortion after rape conception is just a recipe for compounding trauma and violence upon trauma and violence. It is oppression passed on. It is dehumanization continued. So not only would they potentially suffer the effects of post-traumatic stress as a victim of rape, but they may also be more likely to suffer from the effects of perpetration-induced traumatic stress because they took part in inflicting violence upon their own child. And interestingly, there have been studies that have been done which demonstrate that rape victim mothers are more likely to choose life for their children. I believe it's because we can more clearly see how the child in the womb is vulnerable to violence just like we were, as rape victims. There is an intimate and, I think, unbreakable connection there in being unwilling to pass on more violence and subject another human being to trauma like we suffered. Instead of the violence of abortion, rape victims need real help. So, you know, she needs to be protected by ensuring the rapist does not have any parental rights. We need to make sure the rape victim mother will be able to receive governmental aid even if she is unable to name who the rapist is. Tragically, the rhetoric surrounding abortion has left the majority of rape victim mothers unprotected because too many seem to think that a real rape victim couldn't possibly want her child when this is simply untrue. So now this is a question that I don't think anyone has all the
0: answers to, but I'd like to hear your opinion on how do you think that we can
1: work to prevent rape? It begins with affirmative consent. According to the organization and Rape on Campus, affirmative consent in a sexual context constitutes the following. Affirmative consent is a knowing, voluntary, and mutual decision among all participants to engage in sexual activity. Consent can be given by words or actions as long as those words or actions create clear permission regarding willingness to engage in the sexual activity. Silence or lack of resistance in and of itself does not demonstrate consent. The definition of consent does not vary based on a participant's sex, sexual orientation, gender identity, or gender expression. Talk to your partner before, during, and after all sexual activity. Establish, check in with, and respect everyone's boundaries. Affirmative consent is mutual, communicative, enthusiastic, continuous, and necessary. It's worth mentioning, again, um, you know, outside of the end rape on campus, affirmative consent definition that, again, consent is just a bare minimum. Consent just makes the sexual act not an act of grievous violence. Many religious and ideological backgrounds have more guidelines or advice for what constitutes good, holy, or proper sexual acts. But whatever your faith background, consent education is key and foundational to the proper respect for our shared inherent human dignity. Rape, assault, and harassment are acts of violence and are always contrary to this human dignity.
0: What do you think are the best ways to support survivors like yourself?
1: This goes hand in hand with not victim blaming. um, we really need to understand trauma responses as valid. The main thing that contributed to my own personal hell of disbelief was my trauma response. Most people know the terms from some past science class or other in reference to what an animal does in the face of danger. Fight, flight, or Freeze. Unfortunately, due to past experiences, having survived sexual assault as a child, I had an ingrained response to it already at the age of 16, despite having taken self-defense classes literally just the year before. When he began to force himself upon me, I froze. I struggled to see through the whiteout of low blood pressure. I said no several times, but then my brain just sort of dissociated. My body didn't run, Uh, my body didn't fight for my life to push him off of me. My brain and my body just froze. I blamed myself, even though I had very little control over what I did in that moment. I blamed myself a thousand times and sat in self-loathing for just letting it happen for years. Part of understanding trauma responses is diving into the research that demonstrates the complexity of trauma that is tied up with the pair bonding oxytocin reaction in the brain. It's a trauma circumstance that is all too common and we need to have resources readily available for good, competent, trauma-informed physical and mental health professionals. If a friend ever comes to you with a story of such trauma, be prepared to walk with them and get them the help that they need.
0: What do you think survivors of this type of violence need to
1: understand? Um, I am going to say now something that I wish someone had said to me years ago. If you survived a trauma and your response to it was to freeze, it's okay. I am so, so, so sorry that you were made to endure that pain and that tragedy. Your response was valid. It was natural. It has no moral bearing on your character nor any say over who you are as a human being. I hope that you get the healing that you need. I hope that you integrate the memory and that you become stronger and more compassionate because of your healing. Do not blame yourself. Do not blame yourself. Do not blame yourself. I say this because I blamed myself not only because of my trauma response, but also because what happened to me was date rape, even though we weren't dating at the time. We'd had a romantic relationship in the past and I cared so deeply about him. Even though I tried telling my peers about this cycle of intimate partner violence that he'd inflicted upon me, I must admit that when they doubted me and alienated me, I began to doubt me too. According to Rain, the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network, a full 33% of sexual assault is committed by a current or former romantic partner of the victim. According to the National Sexual Violence Resource Center, a full 51% of female rape victims reported being raped by an intimate partner. But there is a prevalent idea in our society that quote-unquote legitimate rape looks like being kidnapped, tied up, gagged, penetrated, and then perhaps killed by a complete stranger. Heck, there are even some conservative leaders who have perpetuated and spread the idea that husbands could not possibly rape their wives, since they said marriage vows constituted consent for all circumstances. So I doubted myself from mere days after I was raped because of my peers' response. Because I then became so convinced that because I loved him, it couldn't have been rape, even though there was nothing remotely like consent on that horrific day. Heck, I even knew a pro-life leader who once told me over a dinner table that it couldn't have possibly been rape, all because I didn't call the cops on him because I didn't file a police report. I didn't file a police report at 16 because not only did I care deeply about my own rapist, but I also didn't think I'd be believed. I thought rehashing it would be traumatic, that I'd be dragged through the mud as a slut and promiscuous, and that I'd lose everything. I thought that because of my trauma response, I'd have a difficult time remembering things clearly. I thought that because of my trauma response, in light of our past consensual history, I'd be read as a willing sexual partner within the justice system. Finally,
0: what is the main takeaway you would like people to get from your story?
1: Believe survivors. Looking back on it now, I can see how not being believed and being blamed for the violence against me re-traumatized me over and over and over again. Heck not being believed about things now at age 30 and a whole 14 years after the incident still gives me trauma echoes and sends me back to that awful moment on my parents front porch. So think about what sorts of things you are saying to those who have survived violence that might indicate to them or to others that you blame them for the violence that they suffered think about what you do or say that might indicate that you don't really believe survivors and their accounts of sexual violence before you talk to someone who survived sexual violence or to anyone because you never know who stop and think and please, for the love of all that is good, never ever tell a survivor of sexual violence that everything happens for a reason. I can't tell you how many times I have heard something like this thrown out as a cheesy platitude meant to fill dead air and awkward silence. It's okay to say, that's awful, or I'm so sorry that happened to you, and to sit in the awkward silence pregnant with pain and grief and anger. But don't try to fill that space with platitudes and cutesy phrases because doing so minimizes the feelings of the victim. It can be a subtle form of emotional neglect. Instead, acknowledge the reality and the pain of the trauma and be willing to walk in compassionate solidarity alongside all of those victims and survivors.
0: Amy, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story with us. If you have experienced sexual violence, there's help available for you. Rains National Sexual Assault Hotline can be reached at 800-656-4673 for safe, confidential help. That's 800-656-HOPE. Thanks for listening. This has been the Rehumanize podcast.